Hello, and welcome back to Sunday Sermons, the official podcast of FMBC Houston. I'm Pastor Andrew Johnson, the senior pastor at FMBC Houston. We're so glad that you chose to download and listen to this episode. If you're ever in the Houston area, join us for Sunday service at 11 a.m. at 623 Crest. Good morning. Uh, a couple weeks ago, well, let me just back up. Uh, a couple years ago, um, I started a little power washing company trying to make some money on the side. That was my, you know, Paul had his tent making ministry. That was kind of my side thing. And uh, recently I got the opportunity to wash uh, at Houston's First Baptist Church. So if you know somebody who knows somebody, you can kind of get in there, right? So I'm washing that giant, they have a giant water fountain with a giant cross that's right there at the corner of 610 and I-10. I just want y'all to know, it is way too easy to rent a boom lift. Now, if you don't know what a boom lift is, uh, we got an 85-foot tall boom lift, which is those things that the guy, you step into the basket and it looks kind of like beep, beep, beep. Suddenly, you know, fast forward to I'm, I'm standing 85 feet over the city of Houston. There's 610 going that away. There's I-10 going that away. And uh, just one little knob and suddenly it starts to sway back and forth. And I'm like, how, I, I mean, the guy explained it to me in like 15 minutes. Okay, these are what the knobs do. You ready? You good? We got to go to the next appointment. And I'm like, I guess. Um, it is way too easy to rent a boom lift. And I, I feel about, I feel like that about this passage that we're going to get into today. I mean, we can open it up, we can read through it, and I can start to meddle uh, with what some of these things say and mean. Um, but I would caution you against approaching this passage lightly. Um, if you've been walking with us for any length of time, at Faith Memorial, you know, we generally are not uh, constantly parking the, the car in the fire and brimstone category, but um, what we are is faithful to the Word of God. And so where the Word goes, we follow. Amen? And this is where the Word is going. We've walked through Acts 1, 2, 3, 4. Now we find ourselves in Acts 5. Last week, Pastor Andy uh, Pastor Andy Wynn was teaching us about this beautiful summary statement about the state of the church in the book of Acts chapter 4. It says that they were all in one accord. There was this unity that was just attractive, and it, it, it specified and focused on the fact that their unity caused them to share their stuff. What a concept, that the love of God had so overpowered their hearts that the things that they loved they laid down for something they had learned to love more, to love the Lord our God and his people more than the stuff that we have. And so it's kind of like, it just kind of ended on a crescendo last week of, uh, you know, warm and fuzzy feelings of unity and love and sharing. And then Acts chapter five starts with three letters, B-U-T, but, and that's where we find ourselves. Um, Before we get into it, let's pray. I'll ask not only that that I'm praying with you or for you, but you're also praying for me. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my heart. Your word is 
sharp and quick. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide even bone and marrow, even soul and spirit. Your word does not return void. It accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent out. Father, as we come to your word today, I pray that your spirit will speak. Just like I was shaking at that tall height on a piece of machinery that was really too big for me. I'm standing before your people handling a word that's too great for me. So I ask for your strength. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 5. If you will stand with me in honor of reading God's word. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains eternal. You may be seated. Uh, Yesterday, we had a funeral and honored the life of our brother, Larry Gonzalez, I see Moses and Sonia. This is Moses' dad. And um, it was a beautiful service. I'm so uh, honored and proud of that family and how they love the Lord and how they've lived that. Um, It's so easy for us to get used to the kindness of the Father and forget that. I want to use a word, and I've thought about this carefully, and I submit it to you humbly, but... He is kind and he is loving, but in this passage, we'll find that he is still dangerous. Here's the nuance, and there's there's some complexity here. He's not a threat or a danger to the children whom he loves. 
but he still possesses a terrifying power that should cause not only every demon in hell to tremble, but it should also give us pause about the way that we approach him. Don't become so familiarized with our God in heaven, our Father, our Abba, our Lord, and forget that he is still mighty, that he is still awesome, that, that, that every human being that ever stood face to face didn't stand there long, but ended up laying face down in the dirt, terrified unto death. And I'm so glad that now through the, through the person of Christ and the blood of Jesus that we can approach the throne boldly. We're commanded to do that. I'm so glad that I can say our father who art in heaven and call him Abba because he is that. But, but don't forget who we're dealing with. And what's amazing about this passage, this passage in, passage in Acts 5, it stands alone really across the entire, two, uh, the, the entire New Testament. Maybe other than Revelation, there's this one place in the New Testament that reminds us that our God is still an all-consuming fire. I'm convinced that in this day and age, the modern church has forgotten the fear of the Lord. Maybe, maybe beyond just the fear of the Lord, as our society in this modern day has become so safe, we have forgotten not only of the fear of the Lord, but not only is the Lord dangerous, there are many dangers in this passage today. Many dangers that you and I need to be aware of. And I would not be your friend or your brother in Christ nor your pastor if I did not tell you about the dangers that we face as we walk in this world. Four dangers I want to talk about today in this passage that are presented you have to back up and let me kind of summarize the story. So at the end of Acts chapter 4, this great unity and, and joy and connectivity was growing. The church was so united in spirit that they began to give and share of their stuff. Sacrificial love. It's one thing to say, I like you. It's one thing to say, I love you. But when I show that I love you from giving of my time, talent, or treasure, you know it's not just words. I'm sacrificially showing that I love you. And that was the love that they were showing each other. And then somebody had to go take it to another level. This brother named Barnabas decided to go and sell property, really his wealth. He, he, he sold all that in the world would make you successful so that he could give it all away. The kingdom of God had so conquered his heart that he sacrificed and sold of his wealth and gave it to the church. Here comes Ananias and Sapphira. Um, scholars have thought about this, and really what happened is that as Barnabas gave, he was elevated in the sight and in the society of all those Christians. I mean, this guy is truly loving like Jesus. And Ananias and Sapphira, sitting back in the shadows, take notice and say, hey, what if we did the same? Well, there's a high price tag to loving like that. Well, what if we could, what if we could sacrifice so great, but for half the cost? 
what if we could receive the benefit of all that praise and all that attention and all that uh, adulation that 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 Barnabas is getting? What if we could get his clout without having to pay his price tag? Friends, the of uh, today's sermon is about four dangers. Can you say four dangers? The first danger that I want to remind you is that Satan is dangerous. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? When it was unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Here's what it is. They're not, they haven't sinned because they kept some money. He makes the point, hey, this land was your land in the first place. You didn't have to sell it. and Nobody said you had to. This is the economy of the kingdom, by the way. This is how generosity works in the church. You don't have to give anything. If you're a son or daughter of the Lord, you will have a generous heart and you should want to give, but we're not going to sign any contracts. I'm not going to come no more. What I, I, I'm amazed by certain pastors that they're like, well, you got to, you have to really crack down on your members to see how they're giving. I'm like, do you crack down on them to see how they're praying? My point being is sometimes you got to sign up, tell me how much you're going to give this year, but you don't got to sign up and tell me how you're going to pray. It's just, you know, anyways. The sin today is not that you don't give that much or you give little or that you sold and chose to give part. The sin was that you lied. And, and not only that you lied, but Satan deceived you. And you have gone into this partnership with Satan to lie to the entire church. But not only to church, we'll find that you were lying to God himself by standing and saying, uh, we sold the property for this much and we're giving you all the proceeds. Will you give us all the glory while we give you all this money? And Peter says, it's not about the money, guys. It's not about The price tag, the land was yours, you didn't have to sell it. Once you sold it, you didn't have to give all of it. You could have said, we're only going to give 10%, 2%, 50%, whatever. Ultimately, the Spirit of the Lord leads you to give what is on your heart. By the way, if the Spirit of the Lord never leads you to give anything, then it might not be the Spirit of the Lord that's leading you. But how and when and why the Lord leads you to be generous in whichever ways he might lead you, that, that's really between you and the Lord. Amen? But ultimately, the problem wasn't that they gave or didn't give. It was that they lied. Satan is dangerous. See, I don't know if Ananias even knows what happened. I don't know if Sapphira even knows what happened. But Peter makes it plain. Hey, this is actually what happened. Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Friends, whenever we choose to disobey the word of the Lord, to to live out in sin, we are reaching out our hand in agreement and binding in covenant. We're opening up our hearts to partner with Hasatan, the accuser. It's a Hebrew word. It means the adversary. He who stands in opposition to the Most High. 
First Peter 5, 8 says, be alert, be sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Friends, Satan is dangerous. Yes, we make bad choices. Yes, we are human and possess flesh and self-interest, and so we, we do the wrong things. Uh, there, there's lots of ways you can explain away sin, but you biblically cannot deny the fact that there is a spiritual element to the kingdom of darkness that is persuading and tempting and trying to persuade all the sons and daughters of light, trying to draw us away from the will and purpose of God for our lives and align us with the will and purpose of Satan for our lives. And as we walk in this passage, we'll see that Ananias and Sapphira signed up. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. John 8, 44 says, you are of the fa- your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan, just in case you need a reminder, was was ultimately this angelic being who um, turned his will against God and desired to be as high and as mighty as God. And the scripture says that he fell like lightning. But ultimately, what, what Satan represents is all evil and darkness that turns itself against the will of God. But here's the catch. It does not present itself as darkness. It presents itself as light. Here I am, Ananias and Sapphira, thinking like, I don't know. We're going to give God something, right? That's got to count for something. And look, we're not keeping that much back. We're just going to keep a little bit. I want to remind you, friends, in your decision-making process, when you sit at the table with, with the devil, what's actually happening is you are making a bargain with darkness. And he comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. And I just want to talk to some friends that maybe you've been flirting or playing with some sinful lifestyles and activities. And, and, and I have no judgment or guilt or, 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 or shame to give you, but I do have a warning that when you sit at the table with the enemy, he plays for keeps, friends. He's out to destroy your marriage and your children. He's out to destroy your integrity. He's out to turn everything in you that could give God glory into something broken and shattered and dark so that it would give Satan all the glory. This may not draw the biggest crowds, but it it will arm the saints to be aware of what you're getting yourself into. Not if he tempts you, he is going to tempt you. He tempted Cain. From the very beginning, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. From the very beginning, after Adam and Eve fell, Cain, Cain gets a conversation with God. Cain is bitter. 
We don't have to go into the story too much, but ultimately his sacrifice unto God was not accepted. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. So he's standing now as judge and jury over God saying, who does God think he is? And God says, hold up, Cain, before you elevate yourself to the place of God to judge God, um, just like Satan did, you're starting to actually look and sound a lot like him. And as you begin to judge whether or not I'm right in accepting your sacrifices, just be careful while you are, while you're stewing in bitterness, Satan is licking his lips. Friend, just a little bit of lust. Just a little bit of greed. Just a little bit of pride and ego. Just a little bit of bitterness and anger. I'm telling you as your friend, Satan desires to have you. I, I, I'm afraid to deal with these passages because so often the fear of the Lord was used in my life as an early believer to manipulate and beat me into submission and, and some type of morality. Like, you better be afraid. God's going to get you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God is good and God is holy. But before we go any further, Satan is dangerous. Amen? Second Corinthians 2.11 says, Be not ignorant of the schemes or devices of our adversary. He tempted Cain. He tempted David. He tempted Jesus. And he tempted Ananias and Sapphira. So if you're going to walk with the Lord and you're going to walk on the path, the narrow path that few there are that find, you better be prepared to withstand the attack and the temptation of the enemy. Amen? So, uh, okay, here's what I don't get. I'll be honest, this is what I don't get. Um, what's the big deal with them lying? Like throughout the rest of the New Testament, you'll find kind of a lot worse sins that somehow get forgiven. And let's just be honest, you and I, or at least I'll be honest and say, I have done a little bit of lying in, in my life. And, and for some reason, God did not see fit to strike me dead the first time it happened or the 50th time that it happened. Somehow we're still alive and breathing. So what's happening? Why, why is it that this punishment was so severe? Is it really so bad? Really, you have to put yourself in context about what God is doing, not only in Ananias and Sapphira. It's not really about just Ananias and Sapphira. It's ultimately about what God is doing in the earth. And there's a message that's being sent, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, that there is still a holy God who is, is a force to be reckoned with. People that want to forget that hate that this passage is in the New Testament, but we must wrestle with the reality that our God is still a mighty and terrifying force, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. We've been walking through the book of Jude in a Bible study that I was a part of, and it says in Jude, certain people have crept in unnoticed long ago who were designated for condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert, which is to twist, the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. These people, verse eight says, rely on their dreams. They devile the flesh. They reject authority. They blaspheme the glorious ones. 
They blaspheme what they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe unto them. The second danger I want to remind you, not only is Satan dangerous, but satanic people are dangerous. And I want to unpack that a little bit. So, so the scripture teaches us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers in high places. We don't have conflict with people. But the thing is, is that people can be a vessel for spiritual forces of darkness. Do you understand? So we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're, we're, our, our conflict is not with people, but it is possible by the nature of humanity that we might be vessels, vessels of God, but also that we might be vessels of Satan. In fact, it's not only those people who um, are lost and don't know the gospel and who have never even served God. There's a certain point in Peter's life, remember, when, when Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You may be a child of God, you may believe in the truths of the gospel or call me Messiah, but right now you are being a vessel not for the will of God, but for the will of Satan in your life. And you've made that partnership, and now you're trying to convince, at that time he was trying to convince Jesus to not fulfill what God had called him to do. So satanic people, it's not simply like, oh, like all of us, don't worry, you're in these four walls, so there's no way that Satan could ever use you. What I would say as a child of God that you've been sealed with the Spirit to be a vessel of the Holy Spirit, but you can still, if you're born again, that is, even so, you can still be tempted and swayed by the devil. And all God's honest saints said, amen. There's a message being made here. The New Testament is warning us that Satan people, a satanic people are dangerous. There are some people who have welcomed Satan into their heart, aligned their life with his mission, and ultimately not just sinning randomly, but are sinning for the purpose of destroying the church. The New Testament tells us again and again and again, watch out for these people. And you know what? I don't ever hear those passages preached these days, but they're there in the scripture over and over and over again. Watch out, church. Watch out, sheep. Wolves will enter into the fold dressed in sheep's clothing, desiring to destroy and divide the church. Satanic people are dangerous. The Bible teaches us about false teachers who teach things that are not biblically revealed. Bible talks, talks about domineering tyrants who use power and aggression to force their will upon other people in the name of God and Jesus. Deceptively cunning wolves that seek to divide and conquer Christ's church for their own gain. So I was kind of nerding out about this because once you start going down the rabbit hole, I mean, what I've experienced in life and seen in the scriptures, psychology has termed four primary characteristics of the most dangerous people in society called the dark tetrad. Those traits are narcissism, which is self-worship, psychopathy, which is the absence of empathy. They don't feel what other people feel. Uh, Machiavellianism, which is driven to manipulate and maneuver for their own gain. And sadism, which is some people um, clinically 
derive joy and pleasure from watching other people suffer in pain. The good news is statistics show that those people make up only about 3% of any society. And biblically, we know that it's not just a human nature problem that they're dealing with, but as we've already laid the groundwork, that there are darker forces at work in those situations. The problem is, is that 3% can do a whole lot of damage to the 97%, especially in groups like the church who have been socialized to be afraid to confront falsehood, lies, and sin. Because ultimately, if we believe that being a good Christian means being polite and keeping my mouth shut, ultimately, someone can do a lot of damage in a crowd of sheep when no one can stand and face the wolf. Evil is still alive and well in this world. So what's the big deal? They lied. They, they kept some of the money. What's the problem? Here's the problem. The word of God and the history of the church is making example right here at the beginning that when you stand and lie, not only to Peter, because who's Peter? Well, here's who Peter is. He is the apostle of the church, and he has been authorized uh, to be the leader at that point. And ultimately, when you lied to me, you weren't just lying to Peter. You were lying to God, the word says. The, the church is being elevated to not only just be a ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors, they are the sons and daughters of the most high God. So when Ananias and Sapphira lie to them, they're lying to God. If you were to ask me, well, why did it happen to them and not to every other person who does that in the church all the time? Because that happens. In truth and honesty, I'd say I don't really know. But I will say that one part of what I do believe is that there was an example being set at the beginning for us to never forget that the same God of yesterday is the same today and forevermore. And he dealt very severely with Israel and the enemies of Israel, and he'll still deal with it. Uh, severely with the church and even the enemies of the church because he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So you can never say, oh, well, that was just the Old Testament, God. Uh, I believe in the New Testament. No, no, no. He's the same. And thank God he moves in grace and mercy. Thank God he still makes room at the table for broken people who've sinned against his glory. But he still will defend the honor of his bride. And when someone sets their sights to attack the church, there used to be a church who knew that God would rise up and defend them. Satan is dangerous and satanic people are dangerous. The, la the third one that I want to remind you of, and this one is maybe the strangest, God is dangerous. Once again, I submit that carefully because he's loving and he's kind. And so much of my walk with Jesus is me deprogramming a lot of fear that I had. Let me, let me explain it to you biblically what I think this means. Proverbs says this, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs says this, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And then later on, it says in the New Testament in 1 John, perfect love casts out all fear. Well, which is it? It's both. 
Here's the great mystery. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and perfect love casts out all fear. So is he kind and loving or is he mighty and terrifying? Both. The good news is, is that no longer is his wrath or his power against me, but he is on our side. And that's why we can say, if God be for us, who can be against us? Let me remind you of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. As it describes, not in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the fulfillment of coming into the presence of God. So this is what it's like as we come into the presence of God. Are you ready? Hebrews 12, 18. For you have not come to something that can be touched. You have come to a blazing fire, a darkness, a gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. The Mount Zion order that was given was, even if a beast should touch the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight of God that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. As we come to God, we must remind ourselves and be aware of who it is that we're talking to. Amen? I love what C.S. Lewis says in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, if you never read the book, C.S. Lewis is describing um, through all of these images the, the beauty of the kingdom, really. And, and the central figure, the Christ figure, is this this lion called Aslan. So there's some imagination, but follow with me and you'll see that while he's telling a story, man, he's preaching the gospel. He says, oh, don't worry to these little children who have wandered into this magical land. One day you'll be able to meet him. You'll be able to meet Aslan. Susan, one of the little girls says, but shall we see him? Why, daughter of Eve, that's what I brought you here for. I'm to lead you where you shall meet him said Mr. Beaver. Is, is he a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he's the king of the wood, the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who the king of beasts is? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I should feel rather nervous to meet a lion. That you will, dearie. And make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, and they're either braver than most or else just silly. Lucy says, so he's not safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And he is the king. I tell you that for sure. Friend, we must forget that, that though God is good, 
let us not forget that that doesn't mean he's always safe. Though he's safe for the sons and daughters of the living God, he is a terrifying sight for those who would stand in opposition to his word or his will. Later, Lucy would venture to bury her face into his mane. As we learn to grow closer to this mighty and awe-inspiring being, don't ever forget he's still a lion and the lion still has teeth. I'm glad that our God, when he stands against the forces of darkness, he is still a force to be reckoned with. Don't lose the fear of the Lord, friends. I've gone on my faith journey through being terrified of God to hugging him and wanting to wear a Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt. And now I realize there's got to be a middle ground where he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I can talk to him like I'm talking to you right now. And yet he still is the God of angel armies. And when he spoke, light came into existence and he spoke spinning universes into existence. And when darkness knocks at my door in the middle of the night, I can call on the name of Jesus, knowing that he who is in the world, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Don't lose the fear of the Lord. He is holy. Revelation 2.12 says this, I turned and saw a voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one who looked like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were a flaming fire. His feet were like fine polished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his hand on my shoulder and said, Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I live forevermore. I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Friend, God, he is so good, but he is still dangerous. And thank God that he is on our side. Not because we deserve it, but because by the shed blood of Jesus, he has reconciled us into his family. He has adopted us into his kingdom. He has made us, he has made us righteous and perfect as he is righteous and perfect. Last but not least, Satan is dangerous. Satanic people are dangerous. God is dangerous. Last but not least, God's people, the church, are dangerous. After Ananias and Sapphira lied to the church, I don't understand why it happened then. I don't understand how it happened then. But Peter pronounced judgment, and they died right then. Those are the facts. If you go back and read it, there's almost no commentary. It just says this happened. But here's what happened as a result. A great fear became upon all of them and spread about the land. Not only were they amazed by the power of God that 
inspired curiosity or attraction or excitement, but the power of God also inspired and provoked fear and reverence. There once was a church that was revered in the land. And I think that we have forgotten who we are as sons and daughters, but I just want to remind you that if you are a child of the living God, you are walking in the power and the might of the resurrected king, the church is still dangerous. Not dangerous in all the terrible ways about uh, sinful, evil wolves in sheep's clothing who have destroyed people's faith and trust in God. I'm not talking about that type of danger. I'm talking about the power of God that can transform and even oppose the kingdoms of darkness. Today's church in the West has been raised in such relative safety that she has become safe, and we play it safe every day. We are afraid to believe offensive things, much less even speak offensive things, much less live and lay down our lives to follow those things that Jesus taught. Brothers and sisters, days are coming and those days are here when the Lord will call on his people to remember the power of light and love that they carry and remember that their power is greater than the power in this world. Amen? Matthew eleven twelve says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. We're not talking about being G.I. Joe. We're not talking about being some radical, uh, violent group. We're talking about a, a violence, not in the physical, but in the spiritual, a courage and a, a, a trust in the Lord such that we fast, we pray, we speak in the name of our Lord without fear. We have got to stop playing games and entertaining crowds, and we have to learn to host the presence of the Lord. Friends, as as history has progressed, we are learning and have learned and should learn abusive anger and domineering power are sins that we must detest. But cowardice is a sin too. Amen? And I have seen a church that is so afraid of being a jerk that we end up being a coward. And both of them are sinful. You can be kind and loving, but still stand for firm for the truth and not back down. When the cosmos cries out for a savior who stands firm against darkness, will they find his bride standing firmly by his side? Jesus told Peter, I tell you this, Peter, on you, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There once was such a church with such power that they walked not only in the joy of the Lord, but also the fear and the reverence of the Lord. And those around them saw it. So once again, there's four dangers. The first two are bad dangers, right? Satan and satanic people are dangerous. I know you know that, but I'm just afraid some of you are flirting with some stuff, and I just want to remind you, the end therein is destruction. 
And there are two dangers that are so good. God, he is so good and so loving and so kind, but he is still a force to be reckoned with. He's the only one that doesn't, he's not in a battle with Satan. The victory is won. Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave. We already won. This is just overtime. But, but, but ultimately, God has the victory. And I'm praying for a church that will wake up and know that we still have a little bit of danger in us. The danger to not just be passive, weak, sitting back and watching the world go to hell, but actually stand up in love and in kindness and in truth and stand for what thus saith the Lord. If not for yourself, for your children and your children's children, for generations that don't know their left hand from their right hand, that no matter what games the world is playing, we will stand up and be the people who God called us to be. Father, I thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus that still breaks the chains of addiction. I thank you that there's power in the name of Jesus that still heals broken bodies that there's power in the name of Jesus that makes wolves and sheep's clothing think twice before they lay a hand on your children. I thank you that there's power in the name of Jesus that has conquered every darkness in my heart. I thank you that there's power in the name of Jesus. And I pray that we... (laughs) I pray that we don't lose sight of the fact, yes, you are Abba, you are kind, you are loving, but you are still mighty. And when the wolf growls at the door, I can call on the name of Jesus and know it's the wolf that this should be afraid. And when Satan desires to tempt us so that he might sift us and separate us from our faith in you, remind us that we have the victory in Christ. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Father, there are some dangerous things that the church has forgotten. And I know this is not a comfortable topic. You and I talked all week about how I wasn't really excited about this one. But we've got to know that Satan is real and hell is real and demons are real and they're dangerous. And while we're playing with lust and playing with greed and playing with bitterness and playing with uh, ego and pride, when we're playing with anger, that ultimately we're, we're, we're locking arms in step with satanic forces that are trying to destroy us and everything we love. Satan is dangerous. That there are some people that at the root of their desires, they actually want to destroy the church and want to destroy everything that is pure and good. And there's got to be some Christians that have the courage and the strength, not in their flesh, but in the spirit to stand against any that would try to divide your bride in Christ. Ultimately, God, you are the mightiest warrior. You are the victor over all battles. And I pray that your people would walk in that power and authority. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you'd like to be notified for future episodes, go ahead, click that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review in your podcast app. Remember, if you're ever in the Houston area, we'd love to have you to come to Sunday service at 11 a.m. at 623 Press.